through the course of your, your research, you state the question. Yep. Did you come across anyone who provided insight on the interplay between program and people? We often put a program together and then try to put people into it. And for young adults, I wonder if that's a positive way of approaching them. Or is, do we approach them first as people and provide for them? Okay. I don't know if that's clear. Okay, so I, the question is the way that I understand it is, what is the relationship between people people and program. We need structures to meet needs um, and we often gather to create particular ways to do things that are programmatic and does that work for young adults? I think the issue probably needs to center around wineskins. Um, and what it says is you don't put new wine into old wineskins because if you put new wine into old wineskins, you're going to lose both the wine and the wineskin. Okay, so I think what we need to be doing all the time is having those kind of discussions with our youth. Is this helpful to find faith? Okay, so we meet Sunday mornings, let's say 10.30 till 12. Okay? Is that sacred? Okay? Well, as you communicate, as you discern together, you're finding it meets the needs of significant percentages of the people. But when you realize that certain things aren't, I think we always have to be asking the question, are we doing this because we always have done it? Or is this really meeting things new in a new way? And that's why I think we need millennials. Uh, by the way, I should explain generations, okay? When I use language, generational language, here's what I mean. Who here is born in the 1980s and 90s? If you were born in the 1980s and 90s, why don't you, for a second, stand up, okay? These are what are considered millennials sociologically. Well, what about, you can sit down, thank you so much. Uh, the reason they're called millennials is they're coming of age at the turn of the millennium. They're turning into adults at the beginning of a new millennium. What about those born in the 2000s? Okay, they're now 13 years old and younger. Well, sociologists haven't named them yet. Okay, we're fixated on millennials right now, and all of a sudden, we'll, we come late to the game. Okay, before that, is there anyone here born between 1965 and 1980? Okay, I want you to stand up. Okay. This is what we would call Generation X. Okay? Now, thank you so much. You can sit down. Or also, they've been known as the baby bust because they followed the baby boom. And the baby boom is anyone born 1946 to 1965. 
Okay, why don't you stand up if you're a boomer? Okay, okay, right? Well, we came home from Second World War. It was prosperous times. The economy started humming. Let's make babies. That's what happened, okay? <laughs> um, how about born 1944 or earlier? Would you stand up? Born before 1944, 44 or earlier, okay? Wonderful. The rest of them are down in Yuma, Arizona. So <laughs> it's so cool to have seniors in our midst, okay? Is there another question? Would your studies give us any indication as to why, um, why we don't see our teenagers interacting with our elderly, why we see, like, logically, why our elderly are undervalued in our congregations and why are you feeling like they're... Okay. Um, okay, a variety of questions in that one. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to... Yeah. Know, okay. Um, let's tackle why, why we warehouse our seniors, okay? Why do we, let's start with the seniors question. Why is it in our culture that we do not value teen, or value our seniors? Um, in many ways, the cultural revolution of the 60s implanted within our culture a individualism that had never been there before, okay? So all of a sudden, liberty and personal happiness became a key characteristics, okay? The way I see it, many seniors went through very difficult times, and they said, I will never let my child experience what what I experienced, okay? Baby boomers, but be, the time before that, parenting was largely high control, low warmth, okay? Authoritarian parenting, okay? But then what happened was bo boomers came around, we introduced this individualistic ethic, and what's happened now is boomers, there was what was called the generation gap, and often boomers said, I'm not going to parent, and they're parenting in reaction to that. So there's there's four different types of parenting, okay? One is high control, low warmth. That's authoritarian parenting. You know, father knows best, you do it my way, okay? Then there was authoritative parenting, authoritative, and, and, and a number of parents in the older generations parented this way. It was high warmth and high control. Okay, so you love your child and you also make sure that you um, shape the outcome of your of your child. Okay, then there's another type of parenting. It's called low warmth or sorry, high warmth, low control, permissive parenting. I want to be my parents. I want to be the friend of my child rather than the controller of my child. Okay, and then there's indifferent parenting. Okay, indifferent parenting would be low control, low warmth. Okay, uh, just to make this come alive, I want to do a little exercise with you because this actually happened in my home and my daughter has given me permission to act this out for you. 
Okay, so imagine Sunday night, grade 11. She's in social studies. And she comes at, at about 10 o'clock at night. I all of a sudden hear this. Mr. Name will stay anonymous. Give so much homework. I have an essay due tomorrow morning. Okay? Authoritative, authoritarian parent at this time, high control, low warmth. What does the parent do? What do they say? Get at it. And how come it's Sunday night? Why are you, why, why didn't you get at this sooner? Okay? Authoritative parent. What would a high control, high warmth? What would an authoritative parent say? That's too bad. You got to do it. Do you need me to give you a back rub? Do you need me to help you search any internet sites? Uh, but you got to get that done, right? Permissive parent, high warmth, low control. What does the permissive parent do at this moment? I'll do it for you. I'll write a note. Does it happen? It happens. <laughs> you can phone in sick. Okay. What about indifferent parent? How does an indifferent parent, low control, low warmth? Whatever. What? You're in social studies? <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Here's what the research is pointing out on parenting. The best parenting is high control, high warmth. But if you define control as involvement rather than pressure. Okay? That the research is showing is the... And you know what? I think it's a message for youth work. It's a message for grandparenting. It, 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 it's how we need to be involved in the lives of kids. High warmth, high involved um, with a directing role. Okay? Now, you had another question and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so here's what's happened. Many boomer parents are parenting out of reaction to how they were parented. So high control, low warmth has switched to high warmth, low control. Okay? And so we're seeing a lot of that permissiveness coming up in our generation. Okay? And then you add, I mean, I think macro. The fact that we are in a capitalistic society where in the 1980s we made this choice. We decided as a society that shareholder profit was more valuable than community standards. Okay? So as long as this makes money, a lot of things that didn't used to go now happen. Okay? Our governments, we like small governments with low taxes, right? But in an environment where the church is not strong, who's the conscience of capitalism? Okay? And how do we create the kinds of communities? And that's why I applaud what is happening here. Because this is an intergenerational community that is in the shelter of each other. We will thrive. Right? And so, you know, what you're doing here is really quite profound and powerful and countercultural, and it's a place where faith can thrive. Because remember, 
um, worldview hangs on the thin thread of conversation. Worldview hangs on the thin thread of conversation. Because a supernatural referent, God, Jesus being God, is just a given here, um, you have a different type of culture here than a permissive um, consumerist culture where everyone feels the need to take care of their own needs themselves. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Where have you seen it done well in terms of engagement with that age group? What does that look like? So to repeat the question, what I'm going I'm to repeat it for the, for the tape. So what I heard you say is um, there is a, a, a tendency in some places to lose the young adults post-high school. Where have I seen it done well, where young people actually stay engaged inside of churches going into the future? Okay, There's a great study that was done on this at Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, and it's called Sticky Faith. They did not have a silver bullet as to what it was that created young adults who stayed post-high school, but they said... If there was a silver bullet, and there's not, one of the key predictors on whether a young adult will stay after high school is whether they're participating in the adult worship service during high school. Okay? So some of these groups that have vibrant special youth ministries that are separate from the congregation actually end up graduating people to nothing. Because they compare that to the service and they've never had the relational ties, the relational connections, the involvement. Also, another thing to realize, the power place in a church is the stage, okay, or in the board meetings, okay. Those are really the power places within a church, like where are decisions make and where is what this place values pronounced. One of the questions is to ask an intergenerational question. How many young adults are seen up on that stage? And what are they allowed to do up there? Okay. And are there ways in which we can have... So our pastor last summer, he had four young adults preach sermons that he mentored. And they preached through the summer. Okay. What a great teaching that was. And guess what? The church was filled with young adults all summer. Right? Because they brought their friends. Their friends wanted to hear them preach. Okay? So there's so many creative ways where we simply need to say, what is this really communicating? And are there ways in which we can communicate value to the younger generation? Okay? Um, What places um, simply can... um, Like we... They have such creative gifts and minds and insights that uh, I, I really feel we need to be doing much more of a tapping on their resources and working together to lead places. Yes? Yeah. 
yeah. Wow. Yeah, so the question is, and you were challenged by someone who's not a believer, um, and we say everyone was created on purpose for a purpose. And where are those? What, what is the purpose for those that are dying right now of poverty, okay, um, in different parts of the world? Well, uh, one thing that, that, I mean, it's a, it's a massive question. And Jesus raised that question himself when he said in Matthew 25, he said, I was in prison, I was hungry, I was needed clothing, I was naked. Where were you? So I think we need to affirm the question, but I think we also need to be honest about the question because when you go to those spots, you will find Christians on the ground working in some of those horrific places. Um, uh, there's a sociologist by the name of Habermas, who himself is an atheist, but he's, he's a European and he talks. He said, you cannot explain... Western Europe without its Christian influence and all of the things, many of the things that are positive about our world have been unleashed by Christian influence. Okay, so so uh, it's a it's a huge question and I think it's one we need to wrestle with individually. We need to wrestle with it as a churches. Are we living generously? particularly in the West. Uh, here's a, a line from Ron Rollheiser. Uh, he said, no Christian gets to heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. No Christian gets to heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. <laughs> yes. That's a very good question, and the question is this. In one's journey of faith, so when we look, each one of us, at our own journey of faith, are there times when we've been an engager? Are there times when we've been a fence-sitter? Are there times when we've been a wanderer? Are there times when we've been a rejecter? And I, I think the answer is, I can see them in my own life, Right? Can you see those in your own life? Which suggests, too, at another level, this is a human issue. Right? And we're all on a continuum. Right? And if it's a human issue, how would I, how did I come back to being engager when I was a fence sitter? How did I come back to being engager when I was a wanderer? How how did I find God again when I was farthest away and rejecting him? And you know, I bet you those principles are the same principles for young adults. And that's a wonderful insight on how we move forward, listening to what God has already placed in our own heart and our own graced experience on responding to this most vibrant 
presence of Trinity in the world that we get to be a part of. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and call the uh, question time to a close. James has uh, done a great job this morning. He's been with us uh, all morning and to this point. And we're just, uh, again, I know we've done this twice, but let's show our appreciation to him again with a round of applause. A couple of comments. I haven't said I haven't said anything yet about my response to some of the stuff I heard. One one thing that was in, interesting to me was you, early on this morning you showed a slide in which you drew a, uh, an oval in between uh, two group two groups and you basically said um, we, we need to be we need to be at these kids earlier. Okay, like it, we can't wait till they're 18. You know, and and I when I was a youth minister, which I was for five years, I, I found that the, the key years for the students with which I was working, and it may have changed because it was 30 years ago, but were, were grades 9 and 10. Like right in that, that 14, 15-year-old age time was, I thought, absolutely crucial. Now, maybe it's moved back a little bit now from when it was then. Maybe it's 12 or 13 or 11 or something. But it was definitely that age 14 or so was just uh, was so crucial uh, that I'd noticed, you know, as a, as a youth minister in terms of kids making decisions. It was absolutely key. Why don't we bow and thank the Lord for our day together, all right? Let's pray. Holy Father, I just want to thank you for the chance we've had to meet together today, to be blessed by you, to be uh, blessed by James's presence with us. We're grateful, God, for the relationship that we've developed with him, and we pray that relationship would continue. God, we pray that you continue, as we've prayed before, for his ministry to be expanded and for the influence that he's having on churches and individuals and in families, uh, for that to be expanded. We want God very much for your kingdom to be influential in our world, and it starts so, so much, Father, at home with our own kids and our own churches. And Father, we pray you'd help us to lead our children to faith. We pray, Father, that you'd move us to become the kinds of people in our own lives that draw out of our children faith. Give us wisdom. uh, Give us opportunity to influence them in significant ways. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.